Hey, if you guys have your Bibles with you tonight, open up Psalm 139, and we'll <coughs> continue our journey uh, through the Psalms. We come to Psalm 139, and Psalm 139 is going to really lay out for us, it's going to focus on three attributes of God, uh, His omniscience, His omnipotence, and His omnipresence. We're going to see that as we work our way through. But we're, it's, it's a very personal <clears throat> look at those attributes. Very personal look at, <clears throat> at uh, God's heart for people. When we look, he begins in verse 1. He says, O Lord, Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. The knowledge of God, beginning with his omniscience, the Bible lays out for us that God's knowledge is, uh, is infinite, is relational. It's relational. It's people. It, you search me. You know me. And look at what he's going to do in this in these first uh, six verses. He's going to say, "You search me. You know me. You know my sitting. You understand my thought. You comprehend my path. You are acquainted with all my ways." All of these are are instances of God's uh, infinite knowledge being brought down to a, a, a relational place. How God relates. To us, how God relates specifically uh, uh, to to the psalmist, how God relates, how God is relating to David, how God is saying, "Man," or how David is saying, "Man, it's this is so incredible, this comprehension that I have of your knowledge of me." I mean, there's a lot of people that are smart in the world, right? They know a lot of things. A lot of people smarter than me, but God has this incredible, infinite knowledge, and it is. Used to know me. It's used to know you. It's used in a relational sense. And we're going to see the same thing with his omnipresence. We're going to see the same thing with his omnipotence. There's these big words that mean God is all-knowing and God is everywhere and God is all-powerful. But they're all, in this psalm, relational. It's not some uh, scientific equation on a board. You hear what I mean? It's, it's God bringing it down to that point. So he says, he begins, you have searched me. So this is a, a, a step of will by God to know David. There are a lot of things I search for. I search for my keys. I search for the remote to the TV. I search for things that I want, right? I don't spend a lot of time looking for things I don't want. Like broccoli. I don't get up in the morning and go, you know, I got to find me some broccoli. Or peas, which are way worse. Oh, I, I'm searching for some peas. Or Brussels sprouts. Yeah, terrible, huh? Okay, so, so what does that mean? What does that mean when we look at that? I just want you to, to understand it. What we search for are, is what? Things we want. Things we want... Or that, that <coughs> bring pleasure or make us happy. So when we look at the scripture, and the scripture begins, Oh Lord, Yahweh, the Yahweh, the, the Tetragrammaton, the very name of God, you search for me. You, you're searching to know me. That's a pretty impactful statement for a being that knows everything, can be everywhere and has all power. 
And, and it's actually such a uh, wonder and marvel to David that he's going to say, I can't even really comprehend this. Why me? But I just want you to see that and recognize, yeah? We're, we're, we don't run around and look for things we don't want. But we do for things we want. For, for, for those that we want a relationship with. For those that we want to know. In the same way, God says, look, I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking for you and I want to know you. So what we understand here in verse 1 the way we think about God, the way we see God, the way we understand God determines everything else about Him in our lives. It determines the way we think about everything else. How you think about God is going it's to color everything. So in verse 1 we see, man, God wants me. That's pretty cool. So for David, David's like, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. God knows our ups and downs. When we get up, when we lay down. (coughs) God knows when we're born. God knows when we die. God knows it all. He's he's laying out for not only this, this understanding. For you and I, our friends know what we want them to know. Right? But God's knowledge is so far past that. He knows it all. And yet still searches you. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, right? You remember the next phrase? Who can know it? And what's the next one after that? God says, I can. I search the deep things. I know the heart. God knows the heart. And so, God knows all of that stuff. So when, we, I, you know, I always felt, I don't know, maybe you guys don't, maybe you guys are better people, but I always felt like if, if my friends really knew who I was, all those ugly parts, they might not want to be my friend. That's why we go to family camp. Because you go to family camp, you get to find out what people really like, man. <clears throat> you get up there, you you watch how someone barbecues, you learn a lot about... You learn a lot about their who they are and their personality, and you see them out then on the good and the bad, right? But the bottom line for me is, as we go for as a church, the family gets the the first the first word is important. Family cast family. What's family? We, you know the good, bad, and the ugly. It's uh, it's it's all of that. But where do we learn that from? Where does the church learn that from? God. See, attributes of God, some of the attributes of God are communicable. They should be reflected in our life. We we should reflect the God we serve. What I know about God determines how I see everything else. You guys with me? So he knows ups and downs. You understand my thought afar off. Does everybody understand why they think the way they think? Sometimes I wonder, what in the world is wrong with my head? But you know what? The Bible tells us that God knew it afar off, which means really before that thought landed in your head and began to take root, God already knew it. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? God knows my thoughts afar off. Before I think them, He knows them. And then listen, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You comprehend my path. 
Sometimes I look at my life and I think, man, I have no idea why my life took these twists and turns. Do you ever consider that? You ever look back and you go, what was that all about? I mean, you know, there's this whole section that seems like a, <clears throat> a wasted part of my life. I'd like to cut that part out, you know, and I would like to have done some things different. I don't understand how that fits in my in my world anymore, you know. But when when I look at God, God says, I comprehend it. I know what was occurring in your life on that path, what you were going through, the things, the challenges, the struggles. God says, I comprehend it all. And we're going to see in a moment, it's all of it is in his book. All of it. God's like, yeah, I, I get it all. Not only do I understand your path and the things you've, and why you choose what you choose and why you do what you do. Not only do I comprehend that, I comprehend your lying down. There's, that's kind of a twofold comprehension that, that God, not only he comprehends that point when we come to a place of peace where we can lie down, but ultimately when we come to that place where we're done walking our path, he knows how long that journey is. Some of us are going to have long lives. Some of us are going to have short. Right? And God knows it. He knows all the twists and turns on a life. He knows all the little stops and starts. All those things are a part of God's plan and purpose. And He knows it all. He has it all. It's relational. It's, it's something that God sees. He connects the dots. That's all i got to know. Sometimes there are several instances in my life, I don't know about you guys, but there are several instances in my life I don't have an answer to. God, why did that guy do that? Or why did this event have to happen? But when I read God's word and he says, I know why, then I know enough about God that that's okay for me. When God says, I comprehend your path, what do I know about God? I know God's good. How often? All the time. Is God always good? He's always good. I know God's loving. I know God's merciful. I know God's compassion. I know God has wrath. I know God's a God of justice and a God of holiness. So I, because I know those things, I, hey, God is infinitely more qualified to, 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 to the comprehension of my path. And so I'm okay. I'm okay. Committed into God's hands. God is guiding. God is leading. God is bringing me through. <clears throat> Look at the second part of verse 3. You are acquainted with how many of my ways? Oh. You, you understand. You comprehend. You're acquainted. You know. You search. You comprehend. You understand. Man, all of these words are, are just descriptive terms of God's relational knowledge of me. And that's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible that the God of the universe cares about me. It's, it's wild. Especially as we continue. Look what he says. He says, uh, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So before I say what I'm about to say, sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to say. You guys ever had conversations like that? You're just talking, and you say something, and you go, wow. Wish I that was really, sometimes it's, I wish I hadn't, John. i got to admit, sometimes. But sometimes I go, that was pretty good. Man, 
Where'd that come from? <coughs> but, but God's knowledge of us is so complete that he says, I, knew, I know the, knew the thought, I knew everything that happened so fast in our mind, we don't even really think about it. But God says, I knew it all together before the word came off your tongue. That's, that's a pretty intimate knowledge, isn't it? That's a pretty incredible knowledge. So then verse 5. So you have hedged me behind and before. That phrase, you have hedged me, is something that you only do for that which is valuable to you. In other words, if your property was valuable to you, if your garden was valuable to you, you hedged it. That that kept all the things you don't want in it, out of it. For us, it's like a fence or a wall. So when God says you, you, when David says you've hedged me before and behind, it's it's a comprehension that God values me and He's built a hedge around. So that's why I say things like, nothing comes into my life that doesn't pass through the hands of a God who loves me. That doesn't mean that nothing hard comes into my life. Frequently there. Are our, our heartache that enters into our life. But I find comfort in the understanding that that passed through a hedge that God set up, that God values me in this thing, whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, whatever the pain, sorrow, whatever it is, it passed through the hands of a God who loves me and it has purpose. I don't, I don't see it as purposeless. As purpose. There's a, a point, a reason behind it. And then not only have you hedged me behind and before, so that protection over that which you value, but you laid your hand upon me. Just think for a minute about the God that transcends all things, who's higher than everything, more transcendent than we can comprehend laying his hand on you. Your hand is on me. All of this, guys, all of these first five, six verses are all a deal with the, the intimate knowledge that God has of his creatures, of his creation. I don't, it's not just David here. Think about the things that Jesus said. He, he was, disciples were talking about what different things that they, that they needed. And Jesus said, don't you know? Not one sparrow falls to the ground, but your father sees it. And you are more valuable than they. You and I, we we don't really think about how many sparrows fall to the ground, do we? But the Bible says God knows every one of them. And we look sometimes and we think that in creation, in the scheme of things, that's insignificant. But to God, it's, nothing's insignificant. So you have wrapped up in there <coughs> God's intimate knowledge of his creation and the understanding, not only is there intimate knowledge of God with his creation, but that, that, that is relational, personal. That's what David is telling us in the psalm. It's personal. God's hand is on me. What did Jesus say? He said... You're in my hands, didn't he? He said, I am, I am able to 
keep you and hold you. And then he said, the Father who is mightier than I has you in his hands. Nobody's going to snatch you out. Right? His hand is on me, David said. The hedge is around me. His hand is on me. And then there's like this eruption of praise. Look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It's high. I can't, under, I, I can't attain it. What he means is, I am overwhelmed and not really even able to totally comprehend what I have just written. I'm just blown away that how big God is and that he's relational and he knows and then he moves from the knowledge of god to the presence of god right and again the presence of god is on a personal level it's not just this you know random thought out there god is everywhere but it's it's that not only is god omnipresent but it's it's personal it's relational it's it has value to you and i how look what he says where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And then he's going to give several examples. Uh, some of them in uh, obviously opposites, right? The, the, look at the first one. He's going to say, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. So one of the first things we understand is that's, that's like opposite places, right? It's like high as I can be. Or as low as I can be, you're there. As deep in the ocean, as far out in space, you're there. And we look at it when he talks about when I make my when I send into heaven, he's he's obviously speaking of the heavens. And when he says, and, and when I descend into hell, that's the word shield. It means a grave. So no matter how high or how low, no matter whether I'm alive or dead. You're there. Don't you see the presence of God is personal? It's not just abstract. It's not just paint thrown up on a canvas. There's purpose in it. Where can I go from you? And really, it's a, it's a pretty <coughs> in, incredible question if you take it to extremes. If God is everywhere, where can you go? Where can you go? He says, if I'm in heaven... If I'm in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. And, and keep in mind, when we're talking about a, a basically landlocked people who never really had a navy or a desire to explore the oceans, the sea, remember, was like the closet or under the bed. Right? Remember when you were a kid? What was under the bed? That's where the monsters live. What was in the closet? That, that's where the monsters lived, right? Close the closet. When you turn out your light, you ran and dove into bed. Am I the only one who did this? Everybody does this, right? It's ingrained in us. So for you and I, you know, that's the picture for, for David or for Israel. It's a sea. So when he says, though I take the, the wings of the morning, or I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. And the, the, the wings of the morning is like being in this glorious, happy place. And the uttermost parts of the sea is the opposite. It's, or being in the scariest thing you can ever imagine. You know, I don't know, zombie apocalypse. In the dark, surrounded, and you don't got nothing. Nowhere to run. That's a bad place, right? So... 
He's saying, if I, if I am there in, in supreme joy or there in supreme fear, God's with me. Personal. God hasn't abandoned. God has, it, God's not there in our, God is not, not there in our darkest times. But sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? We wonder, where are you, Lord? But Psalm 139 tells us. He's with us. <coughs> Listen specifically to what he says in the, the, the happy, happy, joy, joy, or the scary fright. Look what he says in verse 10. Even there your hand shall do what? Lead me. You ever been so afraid you don't know where to go? What to do? How do I get out of this? What do I, what do, I do? How do I deal with this? How, do I, how am I supposed to feel? How, how, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, there's been a lot of tragic things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Just in our area. How am I supposed to feel? How am I supposed to feel? I, I talked... Uh, Two days ago to a mom who was pretty sure her young daughter was just starting her life. And she's gone now. Just like that. Just in a blink of an eye. How are you supposed to feel? When I went to Bible college, they don't teach you what to say. And if they did, if someone taught you what to say, throw that away. Don't ever say that. Whatever it is you think they taught you, you know what you say? You don't say nothing. Better to be quiet and just provide a shoulder or provide sympathy. You know, I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. If we can do anything, you know, how am I supposed to feel in this scary place? God says, I'll lead you. I'll lead you. So what does that mean? He says his hand, <clears throat> right? So we're back to the concept that God's hand is on us. And then the concept of leading is not only is his hand on us, his, his hand is taking mine. And he's, he's leading me. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. Romans chapter 8, what separates us from the love of God? Yeah, the, the writer... Paul goes through great pains to basically say, nothing separates you from the love of God. So God, even in that dark place, his hand is there to lead us. Then look at the next phrase in verse 10. Your right hand shall hold me. So not only do you have his guidance, but what else do you have? His comfort. What does the right hand speak of? That's, that's the hand by which he saves. His right hand is mighty to save. It's the hand of power, but most of us are right-handed. For left-handed folks, I'm sorry. But basically what God says is he's right-handed. So you left-handed guys are, are pretty, pretty much wired wrong. I'm sorry. It'll be okay. <laughs> so you got both sides. You're both wired wrong and wired right. You're very confused. <laughs> so what's he saying? No, the, the mighty hand, the power of God is there to comfort you. To hold you. I'll never forget. My, my uncle, Bruce, was dying of AIDS. Pretty much he'd been 
cast out by everybody. You know, in, in various parts of his life, he'd been... I mean, he, he was always uncle. He was always family. But, but you know, there was not that relation. That, that was just some of the choices he made, you know. But at the end of his life, he had repented. He'd come to the Lord, but I wasn't going to save him from dying. Right? There's not a cure unless God healed him. He was going to die. And... He would tell us, he'd say, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I know you guys have forgiven me because we loved him. We always loved him and all the stuff he was going through. And I, I know you guys have forgiven me, but just, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I'm afraid. What if God doesn't forgive me? What if I'm not, what, what if he doesn't forgive me for the things I've done and the choices I made? And, and I'm dying. I'm going to see him. And he went to, to sleep one night and he woke up the next day and he was just, had peace. So we asked him, what? what happened? He said, man, last night I dreamed that I was like a little child and God was in a rocking chair just holding me and rocking me and I knew God was telling me, I got you. His right hand holds me. He comforts me in the scary places and the not so scary places. He leads me in the scary places and the not so scary places. God is there, right? His <coughs> omnipresence is personal and relational, not abstract. He goes on If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. You ever felt like that? The darkness is falling on me. Oh my gosh, it's, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And it's all crashing down and you're lost in pitch black darkness. But the psalmist says, even the night is light. What can hide you from the eyes of God? What can take you from his presence? Yeah, there's no darkness dark enough to keep you away from God. What does that mean? You know, sometimes the choices of our life take us to very dark places. But you, you don't leave God back in the light when you go into the dark. God's there. I see you. He doesn't, he doesn't, <clears throat> um, he's not separated by that darkness that we find ourselves in. In fact, in verse 12, he goes on and he says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. Both the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Darkness cannot take us from his presence, nor can light hide us from his presence. He don't, doesn't see us in one and not in the other. He, his omnipresence... His presence is personal. He's there. For you and me. Just like he was for David. Because God is relational with his creation. How do I know that? Because God, the transcendent God, condescended himself to walk with us. That's relational. Some people view God as a great watchmaker, right? He, he winds up creation and then he gets it spinning and he goes away. And he's, he does, he's not, it's not personal. It's like the force out there. 
But God's personal. His knowledge is personal. And his presence is personal. See, I'm still like a cat. You trip me, I don't fall down. I got, nin- I got ninja skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, now he moves from the knowledge of God, personal and incredible, and the presence of God, personal and incredible, now the power. Now the power of God. Look at verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Literally, you, you knit me together. It's, it's, a, it's a picture. He's going he's gonna to develop more in verse 16. But it's like a picture of a, a ball of life. Uh, if, you, if you saw that ball like clay, you know, it would fit with other pictures in the Bible. Like the potter and the clay. It's like, you, you're putting me together. You're making me. So, so he says, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, so I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, think, I just want you to think about that. Um, to me, that's why uh, being out at, at Planned Parenthood is so vital. Because it's not just David, is it? Is every baby not? Fearfully and wonderfully made? Is every does God not have a, a plan and a purpose for every child? Does the Bible not say that that all life is is uh, valuable? And we do t- today in this modern era worse than the Israelites did in sacrificing their children. We just build enough walls around it so nobody sees it anymore. Right? Shouldn't somebody be the voice for them? Shouldn't somebody say, stop? Please don't do this? The power of God in the creation of life. Man, there's nothing like it. And the Bible says all children are a blessing. All of them. No matter when, no matter how, <clears throat> they're a blessing. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. For my frame was not hidden from you. So... Again, relational. The power of God, relational. Look, I wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. I, I was not invisible to you. You knew me then. You were with me then. You made me then. You knit me together. You brought all the pieces together of that life. And that life had purpose and plan. In verse 16, your eyes, your eyes saw my substance. You saw that, I don't know what you want to call it, life force. You saw that being yet unformed. So before there was anything, you saw my substance 
and in your book they all were written. It's a pretty powerful section. In your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me. What's the next phrase? When there were none of them. Before there was a day. In God's book, what's he saying? What is he laying out for us <clears throat> poetically? That, that God has decreed every event that takes place in human life? Or is what he's saying that God has decreed the idea, the concept that all your days matter? There's a purpose for them. There's a part. There's a space that you're supposed to be in. If that's true, there's 60 million empty ones. That number doesn't boggle your mind? 60 million? We freak out about the Holocaust. How many Jews? Most people know. Six million. million. Ten times that have been slaughtered in our our nation. I'm not talking about the world. That's just us. That's crazy. That's crazy. What what does God say? Hey, I, I wrote down days for them all. They all had a purpose. They all had a place in my creation before they ever were even beginning to form in their mother's womb. I had their I had their their life was a a thought in the mind of God. God knew them was there with them his power created them the days fashioned man my my life has a point to it it has a beginning middle and an end and there's purpose for every life no matter what it looks like to you and me there's a big debate in California going on. I think they recently <coughs> passed the assisted suicide that, that you can, uh, you know, if you meet certain criteria, you can um, take your life. <coughs> and um, all I can think about when I think about that is all life has a purpose, even broken life. Even what might be miserable for you can bring glory to God used for him. Even if all I have is, you know, the ability to close my eyes, blink, I can still communicate. And... I think sometimes we in this world think an awful lot about 
us and our quality of life. And we spend less time thinking about God and the opportunity to glorify him. And we want to, I personally want to, uh, and I don't know, you know, if I'm in that circumstance, I'll be just as selfish as the next guy. But what I want to do in my heart is say, I want to glorify God in my life, in my death, in how I do what I do. I want to honor him. I want to leave him central in that decision. I want to leave him in that place. And so <clears throat> that concept of purpose is so, uh, to me, it's it's so uh, vital. In fact, look what David does with it. He says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God? How precious. It's the same thing as saying, man, God's going, ah, I got such incredible things I want to do through your life. Precious are your thoughts to me. How great the sum of them. So it's not like, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a afterthought in God's mind. No, there's that's lots of thoughts. How great is the sum? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. So that's not an occasional thought, right? That's that's frequent thought. It's frequent plan. And when I awake, what happens? I'm still with you. I'm still with you. And all of that psalm, all of that considering the personal aspect of God's knowledge, the personal aspect of God's presence, the personal aspect of God's power, and the plan of it all brings David to this examination of his heart. Of his heart. Look what he says. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. What I hear him saying is, I hate what you hate, God. I love what you love. I hate what you hate. I'm not trying to make peace with what God hates. I'm not trying to reconcile with what God hates. I'm just saying, you know what? I just want to stay away from that. I want a clear delineation between that which God calls wicked. I want a clear delineation from that which God calls blood guiltiness. Bloodthirsty means to be swift to shed innocent blood. That's a judgment that God had upon the nation of Israel over and over and over. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. That's a declaration against our nation too. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Look, I, I don't want... I, I, oh, that you would slay. Oh, that you would judge God. Oh, that you would judge the horrible atrocities that are going on. How many times do people think, I did this and nothing happened, so it's okay? It's not okay. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's a reason why the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of it. You're not supposed to just sit in fear of God forever. 
It's the beginning of a journey. How's the journey begin? Man, I, I should be pretty freaked out by the all-powerful, transcendent, holy, just, perfect God. But that's not the end. It's the beginning. You with me? The beginning of knowledge. Beginning of my journey. And then as we journey through life, what do we come to know the heart of God more and more? More and more. Lots of times in my life I, I think, I see horrific things and I think, oh man, God, I, I long for justice. I also understand what that means. But I long for justice, for things to be right. For the wicked, the day of the wicked to be over. But you know it's interesting that God doesn't long for that? The Bible says God is long-suffering patient desiring what that no one would perish but that all would come to repentance so when we think about our knowledge growing in the knowledge of God and learning about the heart of God don't forget about that part of the heart of God the reason the lightning doesn't fly out of heaven and judgment is an instant is because God wants them to repent to turn and live. I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. So God's patient. So do you think when we reflect the nature of our God, we should be less so? I long for it, but I also want to be like Him. I want to reflect His attributes. I want to reflect God's attitude. That doesn't mean I say what you did is okay. That's not the same thing. Right? I hate what he hates. I love what he loves. God. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. So he's saying, look, they speak slanderously of God. They speak wickedly. Uh, They speak against you wickedly. So that's slanderously speaking of God. Then your enemies take your name in vain. That's to speak irreverently about God. And then in verse 21, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. Those who speak slanderously of God, those who are irreverent toward Him. It doesn't offend you when people talk about. You think about the beauty of the psalm as it began the personal nature of God's knowledge, the personal nature of God's presence, the personal nature of God's power, His plan and purpose for every life. And then think about the ugly things people say about God. It ought to offend us. It ought, to, it ought to be something we don't like. I, I almost can't stand listening to, to some people talk. It's like, oh my gosh. Man, you, you got nothing but craziness coming out of your mouth right now. It's kind of nutty. And that's what David is saying. In light of all the beauty that I see of God and all he's given and how he wants to relate to us, how can you over there... Hate him so. 
speak irreverently of him. How is it that you have that in you? I hate that. I hate that. <coughs> but then, as he's holding on to that thought, he's saying, they're my enemies. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, <coughs> the Bible says that we are to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. What is abhor? Hate. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Our tendency is more on the clinging to or experimenting with or tickling or playing with that which is evil and pretending it's not so bad. And not really clinging to good, not, not necessarily clinging to anything, but the Word of God says, hate that which is evil, hate it, perfect hatred, and cling to what is good. And God's good. We want to hold fast. Hold tightly to him. But as David is considering all this and he's considering the wicked and he's considering those who hate God and he's how beautiful God is and those who hate God, where does it take him? The last two verses. So God, search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Know my worries. Know my fears. Know me, God. I'm a mess in here. And see if there's any wicked way in me. God, I really hate that, but is some of that in here? Is some of that living in me? Is some of that in my attitude? Have I made peace with some of that? God, search me. Know me. Try me. Is there any wicked way in me? And lead me the way of everlasting Lead me, God. Lead me in the path that you would have me walk. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me, God, because if you're not leading me, man, I can't find my way on my own. I got to have him. Man, God, you're so relational. Your knowledge of me, your presence with me, your power in my life. (coughs) The wicked are so wicked, but God, there might be some of that in my heart. That's the point of the psalm. There might be some of that in in me. And I want you to dig in and get the garbage out. Because I want to walk on your path. I want to go your way. I want to follow you. Uh, We had a, a guy... I always say I want to get him here. One of these days, I'm actually going to do it. Um, I can't even remember the ministry now, but it had come to me. But uh, he does the pottery. Help me out. Nobody knows? You remember? Potter's Field? Potter's Field. I, I love it because he's, he's illustrating the work of God as God's working on the pot. You with me? And there are certain times... In in his presentation, and certainly in our life, where you can feel God digging down pretty deep in you and pulling out the gunk and getting it out. What's that gunk? I don't know what the gunk is for you, man, but if you want to have a heart like David, 
then you pray that prayer. And not only once in a while. The gunk gets in you all the time, don't it? Can the gunk get in you doing good things? Man, the gunk can get in you doing good things. The gunk can get in you... We're broke, and we have a tendency toward that which is we ought not. I have an appetite for destruction. I need God to change that. I need Him to change that nature so that that's not who I am anymore. That needs to be my heart. So as soon as David, looking at God, seeing the evil, where did it drive him? To look inside. And that's what it needs to do with us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.